Hi everyone. Before we get started today, I want to talk to you about our newest partner, BetterHelp. Throughout my own grieving process, I have found therapy to be critical in getting me to the point where I am today, and I truly cannot imagine getting through this past year without it. Uh, a lot of the world is still in some sort of quarantine or phased opening, and BetterHelp is a perfect platform for accessing therapy during this time because you can do it from wherever you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist, and you can have your first session scheduled in as little as 24 hours, which is huge. I know for a lot of people, you hit a roadblock in starting therapy because there's a pressure to really find the right fit. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's really easy to change a counselor if you feel like you want a better fit. The therapist you're matched with is available weekly, but you can send messages anytime through the app and get responses between sessions, which makes such a big difference, especially when you are processing a loss. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and they also have financial aid available, which I love and is one of the reasons that I decided to partner with them. We have a special offer for the Grief Coach listeners where you'll get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash thegriefcoach. That's T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash The Grief Coach. You can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. Investing in yourself is so important. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know how much I prioritize doing the work to get through the grief process and BetterHelp is a wonderful platform to leverage to do so. Go to trybetterhelp.com slash the grief coach to get started. Hi everyone, this is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today, I'm very excited. We have Sashka Rothschild, who is the founder of Float. Sashka, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Sashka and I met through the internet in the like death Instagram space, but then also realized that we had a mutual friend and got to connect when she was in New York a few weeks ago. And we had so much to talk about. And we thought that it would be perfect um, for her to come on and be on an episode. Um, So Sashka, if you could give people a little bit of your background and your story, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah, I know it was really wild to be able to connect the way we did in New York and to be able to kind of get this going shortly thereafter. Thank you. I am sort of recently discovering that the thing I'm supposed to be working on is related to the thing that has sort of most deeply shaped my life, which was losing my mom to brain cancer when I was 17. She was diagnosed with a brain tumor encased in her brainstem the September of my senior year in high school and died 11 months later. Over the course of that 11 months, I had graduated early and had spent basically all of my time as proxy caregiver. So rides to and from chemo and radiation, 
catheter changing, driving, food making, schedule making, like really normal caregiver stuff, but potentially a little too young, I think, to have been doing all of it. And we just had the 20th year anniversary of her death. So it's been a really long and deeply painful, but also incredibly life-changing experience to go from at that point, having lost both my parents by the time of 18 and sort of turning 18 completely on my own to really kind of finding my footing and flailing in so many ways through my 20s to where I am now closing out my 30s has really sort of been this like game changing and and the biggest, strongest, longest narrative of my life as an adult. So that's sort of what led me into um, the space where Float is now in terms of helping normalize grief, which is really in so many ways what you're doing as well, what Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people should be doing and really helping change the way people experience grief so that it doesn't feel as scary and devastating and it can feel more normal and accessible as just a, like the most natural part of life. I think, you know, caring and caregiving is something that is so emotional and so hard. And I know like for me was so hard and I was 30 and I feel like when you're 17 and 18, it's really like, I can only imagine what that was like. And I, if it is, you don't want to talk about this. You don't have to, but how did you, you, were you even in the space where you could like be talking to friends or family about what it was like, or were you just like adrenaline? We have to do this. And this is what's happening. Yeah. I think it was mostly the latter though. I think the thing about being that young, if you will, is that Like no one has any idea what that's like in your peer group. And to some degree, even my mom's peer group hadn't really started losing their parents yet because everyone was like, you know, my mom was 49 when she died and it even hadn't even hit her group. So it was rather foreign for everybody. And I think that what I learned in that year and potentially a little too early is that like adrenaline is this like life-saving, you know, coping mechanism. I became someone who needed all the information. The more information I could have about a situation, the better I felt or the more um, in control or some semblance of control I felt I had. And I think that that works really well to get through that time of someone being sick. And I think it took a long time for me to understand that I needed to like unhook from that as a way to like power through and sort of try and muscle through the, you know, the, the grief and, and brokenness thereafter, because it's not like a really sustainable way of coping with the world mm-hmm. of creating like tense muscle and like powering through because you do need to soften and you do need to be able to feel things for them to kind of pass through and process. So it, it was what I instigated in that moment to help survive. I didn't really have anyone to talk to. Most of my friends, like who I'm still incredibly close with, really did their best to try and sort of support what was happening. But I don't know that I told them so much because it's awful. Like, it's a really weird thing to say to like your friends who are finishing their senior year, like, 
oh, what did you do today? Oh, well, I was, you know, taking my mom to the bathroom and I, and she lost her balance and I dropped her on the floor and then we cried and I couldn't get her up. And like, that's very like incongruent with everyone else's experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember that feeling too. And I think that's part of the reason why grief and caregiving and like these big things feel so isolating is because for so many other people, it's so far from the reality of like our friends who we would talk to about anything, but how do we, people be like, what did you do today? Like, well, I picked out what we're burying my dad in. Like, and it just, and I, and then I went to Pilates afterwards. Like it just is like, you have this kind of new reality of like, you're dealing with this really like shitty thing and this really hard thing. And how do you communicate that out to people you care about, which is why both of us are trying, I think, to normalize grief a little bit in what we're doing. And if you could tell the audience about float and how you decided to start and what you guys do. Sure. So float is a daily resource for helping everyone, as we say, live an unsinkable life after loss, really trying to help people amass the toolkit from an emotional health perspective, a behavioral health perspective, to just keep your head above water and keep it going after someone dies. And it was interesting because after my mom died, I was supposed to start college and I started in a different place I had planned. And I remember sitting in classes being like, this is so wild. Like who, who cares? Like none of it felt like it mattered. And so I had a different sort of, I just had a very different trajectory and path post her death. And so I actually went to culinary school and wanted, I like really went a divergent direction from what I had planned. And only upon moving to New York in my late twenties and sort of being like enmeshed in all things sort of like digital creative startup, did it occur to me that there was a way to create tools that were the things I I kind of wish I needed when I was younger. So I started my first company when I was 32, which was a crowdfunding tool for people going through cancer treatment. And it was this kind of entry point into like understanding the digital landscape and how technology can personalize experiences to be helpful for people. And Float is really just an extension of all of the learning of like my first two companies, Mm -hmm. Um, realizing that there's a lot that you can teach people over use of their phone. There's a lot that we can parse out in terms of learning and resilience building and emotional health and wellness, you know, in incremental daily little moments interacting with, you know, a piece of technology. And so Float was really um, born from that. Three or four years ago, I met our chief psychology officer, um, Dr. Victoria Sturkin, who is a born and bred New Yorker. She has her PhD from Columbia in applied behavioral analysis, but she also lost her mom to cancer when she was six. And in this moment of coming together over losing our moms, you know, the kind of proverbial dead moms club, we realized that her skill set of 
behavior change and resilience building, you know, coupled with an ability to create a brand and something that was nice and easy to use was this kind of magical moment for us. And so we spent a lot of time building up this sort of curriculum and, and workshop work and really dissecting and understanding how people build resilience, how people stay, how people can keep their heads above water versus, you know, completely letting things like grief overtake you. Those, I feel like I hear, I have here now and have heard for a long time, people use the like term, these like waves of grief that come and, you know, how do we help people navigate those better? So those were all sort of things that we decided were really important to us personally and that we saw as a big issue in the world of just, you know, someone got, dies and there's just like so little information about how you can stay afloat when that happens. And so those were sort of like the things that were, that catalyzed where we are now. Yeah. It's so important. And I just, I think it's interesting. The more people I talk to as I dig deeper in this space for the podcast of how many people, once they lose someone, they're like, oh, no one knows how to talk about this. Like there's no resources, there's no nothing. And so there's this really resilient community of people who I feel like are just like screaming. I was like, this is how you can talk to us. This is like what this is like, because I think until I would say a majority of people in this space, until you experience a loss, you don't realize how much our world and our like society is not prepared to talk about that and like doesn't give space to it. No, I remember thinking, and I used to talk about this like on panels and in interviews with my first company that I think in so many ways, the only way that I really survived the loss of my mom was that in moments of feeling like incredibly vulnerable, like nakedly vulnerable and and broken, really fucking broken, that I had people around me that saw me in that, in that space. And were like, look, I see you, like, I see you broken and I'm not going anywhere. And oftentimes what I realized is that I found people by, you know, nature or nurture. Like I found people that we're also like in that dead mom's club or dead dad's club or whatever else we say to identify others who like know the secret code of what it's like to be on the other side of losing someone. And I, I think that like what you're saying is so it resonates so much because we really survive by holding on to each other after that happening and, and reminding each other and ourselves, this is survivable. I talk about this all the time. It's like the thing that really, because I'm 20 years in, I like finally can say this, but because of my mom dying, because of that grief, like it gives you really a distinct set of superpowers and like, that's a possible outcome and that it's possible to get there. And so I think that the more it gets, the more we talk about it, the more we build things that make that clear, it will become easier. Like it's never going to be easy. It's always going to be hard, but it will be easier. Yeah. And to like give space to have it be hard. Yeah. Because it is that, hard. It's awful. And that other people can know that it's hard. And I yeah. think there's this like huge misconception that like 
there's a timeline with grief. And I think yeah. like we, you know, for me, it's next Friday, we're recording the first week in April and next Friday is a year. And yeah. so for you, 20 years, like things, and I even noticed like things have changed over this year and I'm sure yeah. how you felt has changed, but I don't think anyone ever really gets over it. And I think that's a no. really huge misconception of people who have not been through a loss. Yeah, I think one of the things that we, when we are really sort of like trying to craft these moments of explaining who we are at Float was trying to be really clear that we understood that grief doesn't have a timeline. You know, it ebbs and flows, it changes, but it doesn't go away. And what I've realized over these 20 years is that in many ways, I could never have imagined my life as it is now. I could, I really truly could never have imagined that I would be so like happy and at peace in so many hours of my day. And I can be blindsided um, by moments of news or, you know, when I had my son becoming a mom, having lost my mom, it like ripped the bandaid all over, like off all over again. And it doesn't go away, but the more that you can resource yourself you get much better at like riding the waves, I guess, um, yeah. is what I found. Um, yeah. Cause it's awful. It's, it really is. It's awful. Like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And the thing too, that I think I wish, I wish had been explained to me in a different way sooner was that it's both. It is awful and it's incredibly beautiful. Like watching someone die is awful. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. And it was hard for me to like live with and sit with both when mm -hmm. I was younger. Cause I didn't like, I didn't want to recognize, I was in too much pain to recognize the beautiful part of it, but it is both. And it's okay for it to be awful. It's okay for like casket shopping and Pilates to happen on the same day, you know, yeah. cause it's both. Right. And I think that there's so much that can like of, people coming together, whether it's you and the person who is dying or yeah. the community around, mm -hmm. there's beautiful moments within that. And there's so many things that are so touching. And I love the story you told me about your mom's friend. Mm -hmm. Do you want yeah, to tell the audience? Yeah. 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 I think one of the things that was really impactful about being 17 is I was sort of like on the precipice of becoming an adult, I guess, or maybe it was expedited, but you know, this thing that became really clear to me was, and really beautiful and really heartbreaking was watching my mom learn how to accept help and watching people offer their help. And, you know, my mom at the very end, which was only nine months into her diagnosis, you know, couldn't get out of bed. I think we had already switched to a hospital bed in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, surely was not seeing anybody or like being on camera anywhere. And I don't think ever had gotten a manicure at a manicure operation, salon, beauty salon, anything. But one of her close friends came once a week and sat with her by her bed and painted her nails. And every single time that she would come, my mom would say, oh, thank you, Cindy, so much for coming. This is so nice. It feels so special to have you do this. And it was really the most... I don't know that I've actually ever told that story without like choking up. And then maybe that was the first time because it really was so incredible to watch this, like this, like partnership of 
giving and offering and receiving help and the grace that comes with that, particularly in moments of the act, like it didn't matter that her nails were painted, but it was this incredibly beautiful exchange of, of connection really. Yeah. And of like gratitude and like receiving and, and offering. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. I thought that was so sweet when the first time we talked and you told me to go back to the business side of things is probably the right thing to say, but what's it like to fundraise and be (laughs) a founder in the death space? Death tech? Is that what you're typically? Death tech. I mean, I, I, yeah, because I, death tech, I like it because honestly, it's also funny. I mean, there's like death, like the dark, like people I know who've lost someone also really deeply understand the best dark humor. Death tech sounds great. I'm into it. I, it's, it's really hard. I think being, being a female founder is hard. Being in tech is weird. Tech is weird. There's a ton of bias. There's like really stale old systems. There's a lot of people doing great things and a lot of funding going to some like you know, real sociopaths. So it's like this broad spectrum of, you know, of business. And I think that there's a lot that I have heard consistently, whether I was working in like cancer fundraising or death tech is that there's always this character who will come in and say, why can't, why isn't this just a nonprofit or like why, or why not, why grief? Like why not just everybody who needs to be more resilient? And I think like, those are okay questions, but I also think that, like, no one says that to people in HR, SaaS businesses, or, you know, the way things scale and get done and reach many, 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 many people is when they are, like, properly funded and scaled businesses. And so if we are all here trying to normalize this thing that is, lit- I mean, there's, I always laugh. It's like, there's nothing more sure on this planet than like all of us will die. Everyone will die. This is like, I can't think of anything more base level, right. Than death. Right. And for it to proliferate and feel normal and be like a normal part of our daily lives, then they need to be funded businesses. And so because it's not normalized and because people are uncomfortable with it, you get a lot of like pushback that is indicative of how not normalized it is. Um, Fundraising is never fun in tech. I think that it's an interesting game and it can be challenging and it can be interesting. I've only started thinking about a next round for Float relatively recently. I think that you just have to be really, really clear about, you know, the one of the reasons why... I had this big epiphany about coming to like finally landing on, on grief and death um, with float was that I had this conversation with someone around fundraising and I was explaining to them, this is like where you give advice and you're like, Oh wait, this is my own moment of advice taking is that like, you really have to find the thing that no one can take away from you. Like what, how do you, how do you go into a meeting where like no one, like there's not one bit of, possibility that someone can argue with you that this is the thing that you own and that you know and I realized that there's something actually because of that also on the flip side slightly easier for me to fundraise in this space because no one can take my grief from me like no one can take my mother's death from me and no one can take the 20 years of like painstaking 
labor, like near death experiences away from me. And no one can tell me that I don't know how to survive this. And so in some ways, I think when you connect the thing that, you know, your is like your moment of unfuckwithable, there's something that actually creates power and ease when it comes to fundraising. Mm -hmm. So it's, I guess it's also both, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. No, someone would have to be like a real sociopath to try to be like, you don't know what you're talking about because you know, so viscerally that like, this is what happened. This is what this feels like. And it's really valid. Something we've both experienced is people trying to broaden our Mm -hmm. pool. And I remember when we met in New York, I was telling you because someone had just connected me to a friend of who keeps talking about like the grief of their marriage. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. fuck you. No. Like, no, thank you. And yeah. Like I, I, and I'm like, okay. And I met with her and like towards the end, I was like, I don't really know how to like reconcile this because like, I've never been married. So like maybe yeah. that I was like, have you ever lost a parent? And she was like, no, I was like, okay. So neither of us know, which maybe was kind of a sassy thing to do, but like, I think it's because we don't have like language as a society to be dealing with loss. And it's interesting now because so it's first week of April with coronavirus in the United States, people are talking about grieving their Mm. former lives, their routines. So like I'm going in two different Mm -hmm. directions here, but things that are, we are experiencing loss right now and anticipatory grief. I think it's interesting that people want, both of us, and I'm sure many people in this space to make it just like loss of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. They're different. They're different. different. And it's okay for things to have specificity. Like when I have people say stuff to me, like, well, why can't it just be about like, you know, all loss, like loss of a marriage or a relationship or sometimes even a pet. I'm like, "Mm." and I like love my dogs. I deeply love my dogs, but (laughs) But, you know, why can't it be about all of it? I'm like, well, then you make the thing about, like, there's a lot of, there's no, like, I'm all for everyone contributing everything they have to this space at large. Yeah. And like, and this is by no means it. an oversaturated space. It is an undersaturated oh, no, no, no. space and for how much yeah. people are dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and I think this, you know, it becomes really clear. There was just this article on HBR like last week that like the feeling you're experiencing is grief. That was the headline. And, and that's true. Like grief is all of those things, but grief and death as a coupled thing is what you are sort of working on and talking about very clearly as am I. And I feel like there's a very clear ability to see that in this moment, particularly with, you know, coronavirus is that the I am deeply experiencing the loss of my like life and identity in many ways, because now who knew I would be a kindergarten teacher, but my six-year-old is no longer in school, will no longer be in school until really who knows when, but not for the rest of this year, California has just called the school year. So in many ways, I'm experiencing the loss of my identity and like my life as I knew it. That's very different from losing my mom. And it's okay. We can have both of those things and experience them both in this moment of like twilight zone of people. Yeah. I did an interview about anticipatory grief that GW, which is where I went, is going to put out. Because I think that's a thing. And I think people do need to realize what they're feeling is 
grief. And I just wish there was more language and more space of how do we talk about hard things mm-hmm. because like death is the hardest, Yeah, but that doesn't mean these other things also aren't hard. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the thing is there's space for all of it and we should make space for all of it because when we don't make space for people's feelings or our own feelings, like that's when shit really goes sideways. And so all of it deserves space. And, you know, I think that it becomes easy to see how little the collective us feel seen and heard when in these moments, people are like, well, I, this is feels like grief or, or loss to me. And it's like, wow, it really becomes clear to me that we really don't see people's experiences for if we all have to be like, no, it's just like this, right? If we were able to really see people where they are at in their lives and see that like loss is hard in that form, then we could all just respect all of our experiences, you know, but there is a difference between death. You know, I think that I wrote something once about like the forever part of death and this like constant, like I remember in the first years after my mom died, but particularly the first year, it, it, there's no way I could even articulate how odd it was to think about forever, you know, the forever part was unfathomable. I mean, it still kind of is to me to some degree. Um, yeah. And that makes it different, you know? Yeah. I remember for the first while, and one of his really good friends said at my dad's funeral, like, it just feels like he's on a business trip. I'm like, yeah. he's going to come back. Yeah. And I think the permanence of death is what separates out other kinds of grief yeah. because theoretically things could potentially, you know, I don't know. You can still talk to them or whatever it is, but I do think it's getting to a place of how do we respect everyone, like where people are. And, you know, you hear all the time about, maybe not all the time, but if you're in the space, you hear about like the the grief Olympics of like, (laughs) that's funny. I haven't heard that, but I like that. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, just because you experienced this loss and I experienced this loss, like they're both still losses and that's yeah. okay. But I remember like one of my friends afterwards and we were talking about the podcast and like things to talk about of almost like grieving when you're not the main character mm-hmm. of like, well, okay. I didn't, you know, when my aunt died, when I was 12, I was really sad, but like my mom was really close with her sister and like my cousins were, and like, that's, those are all like loss is different depending on the relationship you have with the person. And so I think it's very easy to say like grief Olympics are silly, but then also like, depending on what your relationship is with the person who passed, like it's going to be a different experience. It is. Yeah. And I think that some of that has been, was interesting in how we thought about what might the world need? What might we have needed? You know, if we had a tool or something, like I would have a hundred percent wished that there was a podcast about grief. Um, so thank you. And, you know, understanding that there is a difference, even with Victoria and I, you know, she lost her mom. We both lost our moms. They were both Jewish preschool teachers. They, you know, like there was a, I both had curly hair. Like there was so much that was similar. 
And there's a very big difference to her losing her mom at 16 and me at 17. And, and, and those are real. It's also important to talk about because it's messy and complicated. And there's a lot of different scenarios for a lot of different people. And if we shy away from talking about those differences, then we're doing the experience a disservice. And, and I think in all the moments of, you know, how much do we dissect it? I think it becomes clear that, you know, it's like, up to, it's up to me, it's up to you, it's up to any of us on the kind of other side of it to continue to talk about it. You know, I, I talk about grief often, my mom dying on my private Instagram feed and every once in a while, or not every once in a while, almost every single time I get someone responding with, oh, are you okay? Like this sort of, it's well-meaning, but it's relatively patronizing. Like, and I realized that, oh, people think that like you're broke, like you're broken or I'm yeah. like, and that this is, oh, if she's still talking about it, like, ooh, kid gloves, something must be wrong. And it makes me realize like, you have to do it that much more because just because like something broke doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're broken you know yeah um, yeah I love that yeah I remember so he died in April and I went out after the funeral in May so it was only been a month and I went out to stay with um, my mom and she was right near my grandparents um, in Arizona and we ran into one of my grandma's like best friends who I've known forever when we yeah. were out and she's like, I understand you're having a really hard time. And I really, and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like and she's like, Thank this you. wonderful, nice woman. But it's, and I think part of it is generational of what was acceptable for like a certain, you know, yeah. for a lot, most people of like how much you don't talk about this. Yeah. But I was talking about it and I, like I, my grandma, I remember being like, when are you going to go back to work? And I was like, I'm not even thinking about that. Like, and so I guess yeah. she had been talking to this friend of hers about it. And it's like, just because I'm talking about it and I'm telling people how sad I am, it doesn't mean I'm having a harder time than yeah. someone who Isn't is not talking about, about it. it. Yeah. It just means and that, it's like, both. Yeah. yeah. It's like other people should know that like, this is hard. Yeah. For a long time. <laughs> for a very long time. And just because like because it might make someone uncomfortable because grief is not normalized does not mean that people shouldn't talk about it. You know, it's like, it makes it that much clearer that we really have so much work ahead of us. And it's why like, it's incredible to watch this. If you like death tech space grow, right. To see how many experiences are being kind of brought to the table and in many different ways. Like I love seeing new, new or old, new to me, Instagram accounts where, people are using Instagram in this sort of like really beautiful kind of journaling type way of expressing, you know, right post loss mm-hmm. pictures and statements. And like, I love that. I, that wasn't around, you know, it was 1999 when my mom died, like MapQuest existed and like, that's it, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's just so much room for all of the things people are bringing to the table into the discussion and conversation because, it almost feels like starting at like, at like ground zero, you know, like we're at like stage one of this. It feels like. Yeah, I agree. I feel like we could probably keep talking for significantly longer as we did the first time we met, but is there anything else that you think 
would be good to share with people. It can be about whatever, Corona, float, resilience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, I think that there's something to remember, which is that everything is survivable. You know, there's like, there is not one piece of this experience, whether it's coronavirus or the anxiety it might bring, the fear, the flashbacks that is impossible to get over. Like everything is survivable. Like there is, there is a way that all of us will connect to make a large raft to like keep us going. Um, and I think that if there are moments where it feels like you're sinking, like it's really important to remember to find someone who can like hold your hand through it. And that, you know, when things get scary, like it's okay for them to be scary and that you will be okay. You know, I think that it's in many ways, it's all I ever needed to hear to, to stay, like to stay afloat and to stay above water. And, you know, in this moment of like real, like where everything is fully sideways, like it's good to remember that like, that this too shall pass, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I, like, I loved this conversation and I hope listeners love it. Do you want to tell people where to find you online? Sure. Yeah. So we're at www.letsfloatflowt.com where you'll find the website and access to workshops and learning and community and connections. Our Instagram is also at letsfloat, L-E-T-S-F-L-O-W-T. We are sort of trying to avoid Facebook and Twitter because there's only so many hours in the day. So those are two really smart ways to get in touch with us um, or, or with me at Sashka Rothschild um, on Instagram. So thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted at like all of the world, like work and conversation you are putting out into the world. It's incredibly important and really helpful. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. You can find us on social at the underscore grief coach and at www.thegriefcoach.com. And thanks for listening.